Welcome to Beyond the Field, a property and finance series powered by Money Empire. The content you're about to hear is designed to educate and inspire you to tick off your property and finance goals. And when we say beyond the field, we mean your field, whatever that may be. Money Empire is an experienced financial advisory firm with over 10 years experience. We deal in this world day in, day out and want to give you, the loyal listener, exclusive access to behind the scenes of the property and finance industry. We've helped thousands of clients with their financial journeys, everything from first home buyers right through to managing clients with extensive property portfolios from New Zealand and abroad. Each week, BTF includes special guest episodes. We chat with industry leaders, entrepreneurs, sports stars, and the stories of everyday people. Now it is your turn to take back control of your future. So kick back and absorb. My name's Kane Wallstrom. I'm Ethan Asuwa. Today, we have Tim Boyle, co-founder of Whiparound. How are you, bud? Great. Thanks, gents. It's uh, awesome to be here. Cool. Excited. Issa, I'm going to pass over to you quickly. So, Timmy, mate, just to keep things nice and light, as always, a couple of quick-fire questions. There's no right or wrong answers. Um, what Netflix series are you watching right now? Uh, Succession. Oh, like it. I like it. Any car in the world to drive the length of New Zealand, what would it be? Range Rover. Huh. That's I like the first it. one. Yeah. Hmm. Any sports person in the world you could take into a zombie apocalypse, who would it be? Uh, Israel Adesanya. Yeah. Oh. I like it. His fights come out. I like it. How different was your life 10 years ago? Light years. <laughs> Bars. Yeah. No kids. A life. It yeah. existed 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, lastly, if you could live anywhere in the world other than New Zealand for a year, where would it be? Charlotte, North Carolina. Interesting. Head office. Barbecue trail down there. A good barbecue country. Yeah, south. Nice. Uh, Timmy, just start us off. What was your childhood like growing up in New Zealand? It was fantastic. I'm a big... I'm a passionate New Zealander and uh, obviously a lot of fond memories of that. I'm an Aucklander through and through. Uh, I made the move to the dark side to Ponsonby only when I was about 20, so uh, Meadowbank Primary and and grew up uh, on that side of town. And uh, despite a bit of travel, I went to Auckland Uni and have sort of lingered around here ever since, to be honest, uh, in terms of permanence. So uh, childhood was great. You know, the, the typical Kiwi dream, really. He definitely went to the dark side going to King's College too, didn't he? <laughs> you were going to bring that The up. dark side, I must admit. <laughs> so went to King's College from um, Form 3 right through to Form yep, 7 back then? College, St. Kent's Prep yep. uh, for the for the junior years. So One of yeah, our other... Loved both of them. King's was great. Boarded out there and uh, enjoyed, you know, all the sports and stuff that you did after hours and um, it was great fun. Any superstitions or habits you have at the moment? I knew you were going to ask past? me that. And no, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty sort of uh, spiritual person in the non-religious sense. Cool. You know, I'm yep. a stargazer. I believe in ghosts. Yeah. Believe in aliens. So yeah. you know, wherever that lands, that's me. So we find you out at Spookers. Yeah, yeah, I have been to Spookers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, King's College High School, then going to university. So you, uh, what AUT was it? Uh, it was Auckland, Auckland Uni, Uni. Yeah. And uh, I actually. Uh, Rightly or wrongly, went to law school for a year, mm. and at the back end of that year, I realised the amount of reading and homework and whatnot uh, when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old wasn't me. 
So I got into property, and I know that's something dear to your heart, mm. uh, but did a, a B prop there over a number of years um, and had a great time. I probably could have etched up the longest property degree in Auckland University <laughs> history if you recount, but it was good fun and led me into a uh, you know a decade of property thereafter. So behind what you do at the moment, is property a bit of a passion of yours? Absolutely. I think once it's in your blood, mm. uh, it's hard to shake. Being an agent for 11 years in the commercial sense... Um, you can't shake it very easily, mm. albeit um, you know you can change what you do. I still stay in touch with a lot of those guys from CBRE, and, yeah. and even the com- the competitors became good friends. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be a lifelong passion. So out of university, um, first job was it with CBRE? Was it? Uh, it was actually with JLL. Right. Okay. Uh, so uh, a good friend of mine, Hayden Bryant, it was heading up the team there. And funny story, I was, I was living in Sydney, uh, very temporarily, working at a hotel, and he checked in and said, uh, "Why don't you come work for me?" So I'd had no aspirations to be an agent, but uh, I think that was just the best opportunity at the time. And and uh, three years at, at JLL to kick my uh, teeth cutting off. Uh, and then switched across to CBRE for a, a slightly longer tenure. Okay, so you're, you're at CBRE for 11 years, did you say? Uh, for about eight or nine. For eight or nine. What did you specialise in there? Industrial property uh, from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And I love industrial. It's pretty simple. It's a it's a big box, really. You don't, when you're dealing with industrial requirements, you're not necessarily wondering what the colour of the walls are like, yeah, where yeah. the sun sets or... Um, anything like that you're really talking to people who need space for a particular requirement so I quite like the clinical nature of it yeah. um, and the size of it you know, Every, everything in Auckland? yep mm. land uh, oh well in the end I was dealing with um, you know some trans-Tasman stuff yep. uh, particularly as New Zealand became on the radar of some of the larger Australian funds we were sort of looking at requirements to buy um, you know big portfolios and things here so loved it and so getting on to, obviously, what we want to talk about, how did you start or come up with the concept of what it is Whip Around today? Uh, I have to give some credit to my co-founder, James, on this one. He's uh, a good man, too. He is. And uh, despite sort of driving each other over the years as to who actually came up with the idea, it's hard to deny that uh, he was working in the freight industry. And uh, as I guess we'll touch on what Whip Around does, it's very, um, very linked into transport and he had seen a problem with the way that fleet operators were managing compliance in New Zealand and it was paper. Uh, He tells a story about sitting in a truck cab asking the guy who owned it how many times holding this paper booklet how many times he had to inspect it and it was every day and where did the three pieces of paper um, underneath it the carbon copies go and one to the dispatcher and one to the client and one stayed in the glove box and and that really sort of triggered something in him that we then jointly developed into um, into what has become a, a solution around a, a broader problem. So give us a, um, I suppose, an overview on what, what Whiparound is and does uh, and how it helps, um, I suppose, businesses. Sure. So Whiparound, in essence, is a fleet maintenance and compliance software. And we have mobile apps and a web-based dashboard to help fleet managers, drivers, mechanics, uh, conduct uh, essentially a daily vehicle inspection that's required for commercial vehicles. So mm-hmm. in New Zealand, it's known as your pre-trip, um, and we have functionality that also wraps around the maintenance um, piece that's sort of interwoven with inspections, proactive, reactive maintenance. Uh, where we've got to with that is really a focus on the US transport sector. Yeah. Uh, so we do have customers here, but... Uh, 
the vast majority of our customers and our focus is on the US where the compliance requirements are far more prescribed than they are here. Okay. Um, and the pain that our customers have to deal with is um, is far more obvious. And is that what took you to the American market initially, purely from those pain points? Or Yeah, we had grand grand aspirations of knocking down the door of every trucking and I think we did to yep. be fair I don't think there was probably a trucking company in New Zealand uh, and half of Australia that didn't hear from us but uh, we we really mirrored first off the NZTA recommended pre-trip here and we built a fairly simple product to, to replicate that from paper into a digital set so we had an app that allowed drivers to conduct those inspections uh, very quickly, uh, we were getting interest out of the US and people were asking whether our product was compliant with um, what we subsequently found out was a federally mandated regulation around a thing mm-hmm. called DVIR, Driver Vehicle Inspection Reports. And that was um, that was a part of life for fleet operators, not just in trucking, as we had sort of, you go into our office and possibly there's a big truck on the wall. but. Yeah. Um, we really have a diverse customer base now that's that's trucking and freight transport, it's construction, utilities, um, right through to passenger, buses, yep. limos, uh, and even at the less compliant end, but, but still a product that's very relevant to them, uh, Amazon delivery companies, FedEx Ground, Last Mile Couriers, uh, and even town cars, sedans, chauffeurs. Wow. So anything that we can deem a fleet, yep, um, yeah. it's sort of bundled up into this this need okay. um, that the US transport sector has. So pulling it back, it sounds quite high tech or obviously tech driven. Um, first of all, how you had the idea from a paper form, getting it to an app or technology stage, obviously we know costs a lot of coin. So what were being a, a startup and an entrepreneur like yourself, what was the or how did you come about the concept of, right, are we going to put X amount into this and just get a prototype built, or are we going to source capital raising or whatever it may be? How did you get to that point? We uh, we funded it ourselves to start with, so cap in hand to the bank, personal loans sort of stuff, to yep. get that first, um, that first step in, get a product scoped up. Uh, and get the first um, the first iteration of what Whiparound really was. And looking back, uh, I think the simplicity of what we had designed enabled us to do it for a cost. That yeah. even mm-hmm. looking back, we think, wow, how do we manage to do it do it for that? But um, it has always been an iterative process. And and starting simple and putting something up that you know it's not customizable or yep. it doesn't have yeah. alerts and notifications, whatever it was. So we. Um, yeah, we, we were able to fund it early. I think the next step then was maybe mums and dads for a bit yep. of a top-up when we realised what we hadn't built or, or where the holes were in the platform. Um, and sort of, you know, the journey the journey took off from there. How, in those real early days, how much did you guys doubt yourself and go, actually, what are we doing here? Or have I built something that is capable of what we're thinking? Well, I think James will tell you that I convinced him one night over a beer why we should do it because if you built an app and put it in the app store, then people would download it and pay you money and <laughs> that would be the end of it. And uh, how wrong How wrong was I? Um, absolutely, you doubt yourself along the way. Uh, you, business is such a, a cyclical wave of, yeah. of different seasons. But um, step by step, you, you sort of get external validation in different ways that you, you get to take a moment to think, okay, well, that, this is actually progressing. Or if you, mm-hmm. you look back and reflect on where you were six months ago, you think, there's a, there's a pretty big yep. delta yep. into where we are now. So those little things along the way have definitely 
pushed us that one, you know, yeah. when we needed a bit of a tailwind, yeah. they've been there. So you get through, the obviously, the prototype or getting this built. At what stage, because we know you've got other people on board now, and we'll get to that, but at what stage do you go, right, we need to bring some more expertise on or more capital um, to go further on what we want to do? There was a bit of a tipping point where we'd probably had the product um, in the market, so to speak, for um, eight, ten months, and um, James and I were both still working in, in other jobs. He was still in freight, I was still in real estate, and we were sort of you know, pulling over on the side of the motorway to do screen shares with people in the US or, or whatever it was. And we realized we had to spend a lot more money upgrading the, the product to stay relevant and to be able to have more meaningful conversations with the people we were talking to to, to solve their problem. And that was gonna require not only time, but obviously money as yep. well. And that's when we decided that um, let's commit, let's yep. double mm. down and, and you know, let's make a real goal of it. Um, we didn't want to die wondering. Yep. Yeah. And so we went and, um, and looked for some outside capital. Okay. And that was through personal people you knew or did you go to a firm that helped raise no, capital? No, it was, it was just through the network. Um, okay. And in hindsight, we were really fortunate. Yep. Uh, we had two cups of coffee. Um, both of the people we had cups of coffee with were, were very close. Yep. Um, and Noah Hickey, who happened to be the second cup of coffee, we actually just went to for advice because he's a... Um, very knowledgeable investor. He'd been involved in PushPay. He'd just left there. He had a, a huge amount of experience um, fundraising and, and whatnot. So I went to sort of just pick his brain on how could we go about raising some money. And uh, I think maybe it was our soft approach, but 13 minutes into that conversation, as he says, um, he was thinking, well, how could he get in? Yep. What would we do? Who else would he bring in? Um, and he sort of said, hey, guys, this is something I'd, I'd be really keen to be involved in. And um, you know, the rest has been a bit of a roller coaster, but that was a pivotal moment in our history: is getting getting um, Noah in yep. um, and Peter Drummond, who's now our chairman, and everything that followed on from there. I think was really important because I think in New Zealand we're a bit sheltered, and, and capital raising or venture capital was not something that's big down here. Probably the closest we have is to Australia, where they raise a bit of capital for businesses. But you know, we, we are sheltered, and, and capital raising can be quite hard. So it's interesting that you're able to get that going quite early um, and quite fast. Yeah, and look, no doubt there was some luck there. Um, I think the 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 sort of angel investor scene here is yep. growing. Mm. Yep. Um, there seems to be a lot of a lot of you know free money floating around that that every man and his dog would say they're angel investor. But when you get some cut through, there are some really um, genuine opportunities yeah. in New Zealand now. The the market's maturing a bit. Where you're seeing even some of the Aussie funds are coming across New Zealand. Blackbird. Yep. Um, they're a great you know example of that from Australia. They've just moved into Ponsonby Road. They've set up a fund that's focused on New Zealand businesses. Yep. So I think it's a great thing for the New Zealand tech sector is it is starting to be really recognised and supported by yeah. capital. Definitely. When you had made that uh, decision to double down and you know commit fully, and you know there was there would always be doubts and the likes, but was everything happening so quickly that it was just you are on the train and everything just changed so rapidly? Uh, it did, and in all sorts of directions. You you'd pull up some forecasts and say, "Well, we're gonna we rented an office. That was a big moment. You rent this office, yeah. and, and everything's going to flow from there." And I think the the board. So we were waking up at all hours of the morning and, and cold calling American trucking companies. Mm. We got a and list. you were based in New Zealand based at the time, <laughs> and that was a pretty hard lesson to learn, uh, and uh, a pretty sobering one. I think the first 
meeting, board meeting that we had um, after we'd sort of, you know, thrown in the towel and we're doing this, we'd sold three customers and we'd, we'd forecasted we were going to bring on 20 or 30 yeah. or something. Yeah. And uh, so you sort of sit back and think, what have we done? You know, how is this possible? But luckily the, the things do move fast enough and, and having people like Noah and Peter, people that have been there before said, okay, well, what have we got to do? James, um, I was about to have a, a baby, not personally, but Christy was about to have a baby and I was on a bit of a travel ban at, at that point. So it was all on James, get on a plane, go to the US and uh, see what you can shake out of the tree. And he came back three weeks later with 30 customers. Wow. And so it was sort of, the next board meeting we had was, was a completely different story and it was those things that happen quick to have the confidence to someone say hey get on a plane and go yeah. um, that enabled us to make decisions around okay well we need to be in the US we need a footprint up there we need um, as I like to say Americans who speak American yeah. Um, yeah. those little things then happen very quickly from there yeah. From the initial days, when that first I suppose um, capital uh, injection of capital came in from investors for the listeners and the entrepreneurs out there, how did you work out where to feed or send that money? Was it working capital for hiring staff and growth or was it into the tech side development or was it a bit of both? Uh, on reflection, it it sort of was almost uh, a bit of a trial run, I think. You know, we, we had to commit to things like leases and whatnot, um, but it was just enough capital to sort of say, okay, leave your jobs, you can pay the bills, we can get an office and we can employ a couple of people and build some infrastructure around this to give it a proper go. Um, it certainly wasn't enough to sit back for a year and have any sort of <laughs> security and, and I can see why that was. Um, it certainly keeps you on the on the edge. Yeah. Um, but it, it certainly gave us enough to get on a plane, take an office, invest in some hardware, software, manage a business, yeah. and, um, all the key things. And so from the growth of it now, how many um, staff do you have? Uh, we've got about 50. Wow. Uh, and that's evenly split. Uh, we've got our product and engineering team here in Auckland, yep. um, which has worked really well. We've got an amazing, I mean, in both our Charlotte office and Auckland, we've just got an awesome, amazingly passionate, dedicated team. Um, but product and engineering and sort of our back office here, so yep. finance and whatnot. Um, and I guess that's a bit of a legacy that we started here and, and we started building here. Yeah. Uh, and then the US office in Charlotte and North Carolina has, has grown to sort of match that as well. And that's sales, customer success, operations. Um, and coming through with the brand, Whip Around, how did you come up with, uh, was it a big exercise, a big branding exercise, or was it a, I suppose, just a, we're going to call it this? How did you guys come up with the name? I think I've told the story a few times in many different ways, but the truth of it, to be fair, is we would have gone through hundreds of different... We just <laughs> were stuck on a name. Yep. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the car park at Swashbucklers, and uh, <laughs> we'd, we'd just had another fruitless session of name creation. And uh, we were just... I can see James's hands sort of walking around going... You know what is it? You know we've got drivers just walking around, inspecting. You know they're going around these vehicles. They're just they're whipping around. We just looked at each other and thought, "That's it. Yeah. It's a whip around." Yeah, sweet. And um, it's it's odd enough that it's become a bit of a thing. Yeah. Um, we have customers saying, "Well, I'm getting drivers to do their whip around, and yeah. they've done their whip around today." And so it's sort of this unintentional outcome of. Of having a slightly weird name, but yep. it's become you know a real 
cornerstone of, of who we are as a brand. So uh, obviously with the uh, the system and the tech aside, how important to you guys is the brand and the culture of your company? Really important. And I think the last six months have been testament to that in that we've always had this over uh, consciousness of being in two different countries in two different time zones. Yeah. Um, two different sort of subcultures with you know software engineers and product people in Auckland and and real type A personalities in the US sales people and but we have this culture that sort of underpins everything and we went through a process of of sort of uh, identifying our core values last year and they were things that were already part of who we were and they just ring true every day um, and you know being a whip arounder what does that mean as a person and how does that then reflect out into the world as we deal with our customers or we build our product yep. or we message um, you know different communication and marketing and whatnot all of it feels quite natural yep. and and definitely in the last few months has enabled us to really gel as a team even whilst both offices are working remotely working from home we can't get on a plane um, it's made life a bit easier. How often do you, as a company, how often do you sort of revisit your culture and values and the likes? Um, we bedded in our. I mean, we're very culture forward uh, as a as a company. We uh, make sure that we're overt in talking about our values. We recruit mm. against our values. We have a weekly all in with our whole team, and, cool. and yeah. everyone's personality gets to come through in that. Yeah. Um, and it's a really fun environment to be part of. Um, so we're not revisiting it in the sense of change, but we're revisiting it in the sense of we always want to make sure that we stay true da- to Daily it. habits and behaviours reflect it. Yeah. yeah. Did you find it, from your point of view, you and James and that being in New Zealand, did you find it hard to find the balance of that culture being New Zealand and New Zealand based and then having uh, American, I suppose, employees or staff as well? Because they do things so differently over there. Oh, they do. They they absolutely do. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be sharing this podcast to the whole team as well. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm saying this in so much love, but they are really different. And I think New Zealanders underestimate how different um, we are to Americans because we're so, um, we're so peppered with American culture of growing up, TV shows and whatnot. But a New Zealander going into America is quite a foreign thing. Yeah. And so we're always really conscious of that yep. and, and just funny words. And I feel like I've got a switch in my brain when I get off a plane in the US that I start saying trunk and elevator and all these things. I get odd looks. Um, but in a sense, that has contributed to our culture. Yep. They find us funny. Yep. And, you know, we've got this group of Americans who never dreamed that they would have a connection to New Zealand. Um, and a bunch of New Zealanders who now have this yeah. you know, intimate connection with friends and colleagues in the US. So how did you choose Carolina as to where you're based over there? So it was one of the great moments of whip around history. Um, We've got a a nickname for James, he's the digger. You give him a job, he'll go and hunt his way through LinkedIn or through somewhere, he'll find software, he'll find people. And uh, we said, well, we knew we needed a footprint up there, we needed some people, we needed some experience, and uh, we said, James, go find the right person for the job. And... uh, we laugh at the, the LinkedIn sort of message history because there are a few ignored messages there, but we eventually uh, managed to get the attention of a guy, Mike Flournoy, who is our sales director up there. And he worked in uh, a company, he was sales director for a company called Fleetmatics, who was the largest GPS tracking company selling into the same industry. 
they'd just been acquired by Verizon for a couple of billion dollars and uh, and he was the guy that we knew we needed and it just so happened that he was based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. So it wasn't that we looked at a map and figured out where the most difficult place to commute from <laughs> Auckland, New Zealand was, uh, but in hindsight, Charlotte is a second home. It's, yeah. it's such a special place and the team that we've got, I mean, the, the vibe and the energy and, and all of that in Charlotte, um, we wouldn't be anywhere else. And I suppose pulling back to the footprint in New Zealand, sort of where, how are you or where are you placed in the New Zealand market? Do you guys have many clients on board here yet or is it about, I suppose, growing over in America first? To the US has definitely been the focus. And yeah. with the, the Is that purely on mass scale? It's a bit of both. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, there's a, by any count, there's 120 odd commercial, 120 million commercial vehicles on the road in the US. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that, you know, we have customers that use us for machinery and equipment and things. So the market for us is, is essentially endless um, in the US. Uh, but the regulations that govern it around the daily inspections, around particular workflows of, mechanics signing off repairs, drivers signing off mechanic signatures, signing off repairs, um, record retention for 90 days. All of this that the vast majority of of the transport space in the US is still operating on paper. And that's so backward, eh? That is where we're just coming in and we're just, we're helping them with part of this journey where we're taking them off whiteboards uh, and spreadsheets and and paper sheets. It's it's as simple as that, really. And the benefits of going digital are, are obvious to us, mm. but um, it's still a bit of an education process to to help yeah, them yeah, along. Yeah. Um, Technology is not a big scary thing, and once they see it, it's like the the light's gone off in their head. Because as you're talking, I'm thinking like in Australia with the big logging trucks or, or the cattle trucks that travel hours and miles across Australia. Is there a, a, a big opportunity for you across the ditch as well? There is, and, and back to your point before, we do have um, customers in New Zealand, yep. and uh, we have customers in Australia. Right. Sort of at the very start of Whip Around, we thought the Health and Safety at Work Act, which was just coming into play here, was going to be our big tailwind as people got you know, more conscious around what their obligations were under the eyes of the law, but America could have sort of came along and swept us away there. But now we're coming back to New Zealand, um, I guess inadvertently just through our presence yep. I think the market's matured here people are uh, what was sort of a nice to have you know were they doing their pre-trips properly is yeah. is now people are starting to take that more seriously and yeah. we've gone and taken the best from the US which I think sort of leads the world in compliance and structure and, and whatnot. Yeah. and to develop a solution that can service that is a real mm. A-grade solution for anyone whether they're in New Zealand or Australia or Okay, so who's your number one competitor over there that you guys look as the benchmarks? Be like, we want to be these guys plus more. Who is that? It's a well, really interesting question because I always have this ringing in my head. If you say you don't have competitors, <laughs> you know you're lying or, yeah. or um, you're foolish or whatever it might be. But I guess what we've stayed true to there are other operators in in our space. There's cloud based um, maintenance softwares. There's yep. a company called Fleetio, um, but they sort of. And in transport in general, there's a huge amount of technology. You've got mm. telematics doing really smart things around driver cameras and and you know even a you know the the push into yep. self-driving um, vehicles and things is on the horizon potentially. But um, where we focus our time is on a really particular pain point that our customers face, and it is the inspection process yeah. that happens every day, yep. and they do it on paper. Yep. And we know that there's 
tens of millions of people doing that every day. Mm. Yeah. And so we sort of have built a strategy that we want to be the best in the world at solving that problem. Mm. And everything outside of that is somebody else's problem and we'll just integrate with the other GPS tracking companies or the telematics companies or the maintenance software providers and that's starting to really happen for us. They're coming to us and say, hey, we want you to plug into our software so our customers have the best software available in our marketplace. Cool. Um, but we'll go and do the, the maintenance mm. side. We'll go and do the, the GPS tracking. So no one does just what we do. Um, nice. We want to own that tiny nice. slice of the pie because the pie is so big. Mm. So does, is your technology and API link that can form into other people's software? Yes. So cool. in, in the most <clears throat> obvious sense of what we do, uh, our customers would uh, do an inspection. They would uh, flag that there was a defect, there was yep. a bull tire or something like that. Yep. And then we can integrate that fault, as we call it in our system, and that will appear in a workshop management system like mm-hmm. RTA. Mm-hmm. Or, um, conversely, we can pull information from a uh, telematics company like Geotab, and our fleet manager would be told that that vehicle was moving, so it had left the yard for the day, yep. but that it hadn't done its daily inspection, mm. ping an alert through whip around to that driver to say, hey, this vehicle's on the road, yep. it hasn't been inspected, could be a risk. So, so it's two-way. Essentially, you can get into public transport, um, buses, all that kind of stuff, taxis, Ubers even. Is there these opportunities in the market for you? It, they certainly are. Uh, public transport is an interesting one. One of our customers is the New York bus system. Mm. Oh, um, which is wow. A, bit of a um, you know a chest beat for us which is a cool story yeah um, and you know Transdev who own them are, are you know really looking at our solution to roll out much wider around a lot of their different bus fleets um, we haven't got as far as looking at trains or, or any of that um, and Ubers and Lyfts are a bit of an interesting one for various reasons so yeah. independent mm-hmm. contractors and yep. where does the liability sit with yep. the mm-hmm. parent company and Interesting. Eh? So tell me, what does you being based in New Zealand, what does your day-to-day look like? Well, as you can imagine, being uh, largely focused on the US and with an office in the East Coast, it's a pretty early start. Um, we usually, and I'll give Noah credit, he wakes up a little bit earlier than I do, but you know, 4 a.m.'s probably um, up and on calls or at least online as to what's going on over there. And that's liaising with the team, liaising with customers, or if we're pulling together some, my my role is sort of focused a lot on content and marketing and and sort of trying to get our brand out there as much as possible. Um, So we sort of kick off from there, and by the time the sun comes up, it feels like lunchtime. Are you a morning person? I never was, and I think I am. (laughs) You have to be now. Yeah, I've I've got this new habit where I... um, I actually put a little thermos of hot water on my desk the night before and have a cup of green tea when I get in. And it's the first time I've ever had a ritual in the in the mornings. But You've got a bromance with Issa right oh, now. Oh, I'm loving that. Oh, they stay hot for hours. Oh, you get a good flask. Yeah. She's she's warm. She's piping five hours later. So uh, it's been really good. So I never was. In fact, I was definitely not a morning person, but... I just think by you know bashing a square peg into a round hole and become one over a couple of years. As we sit here, biggest learnings to date for yourself or for the company? Yep, sure. I think uh, one thing I've learned over the journey of Whip Around, which which is something I'll take with me for eternity, is the value of bringing people along and in uh, into the world. Don't think you can do everything yourself. 
you're not an expert in everything you're trying to do in business and um, the likes of Noel was the first cab of the rank uh, first cab off the rank for us and he's brought with him some really interesting experience people as well Puhan our CFO um, and so that's sort of that, that's a hard thing to get your head around the first time is giving up a little bit of your control and your world yeah but over time you're building this sort of um, you know group of amazing people that end up just helping you move faster mm-hmm. so I think people is a, is a huge one that's a, a big learning that um, I would always now go and bring other people that I knew and trusted into the fold. That's a really good attribute, to let go of your ego and let someone else that you know is better at you at a certain job do it because it will take you further. Oh, totally. You can't do everything yourself. And then the the second one that rings really true is just know your customer. Whatever you're doing, whatever business you're in, um, you know, as they say, obsess on the problem, not the solution. And if you really get inside your customer and and think like they think and obsess over it, then you're going to have a far more direct path to them and to yeah. success than trying to convince them that what you do is for them. Most influential role model? It's an interesting question. Um, you know, I'm not one for following people on LinkedIn. I'm not, yep. you know, Bill Gates fan or a Jeff Bezos fan. My role models are definitely people closer to me. Yep. Um, and I think my father, he started a business really young and, and I look back, he's, he's no longer with us, but he had off, you know, had a business in Singapore and this and that. So when I'm getting on a plane going to the US, I sort of think, wow, this is sort of reliving some of <laughs> yeah. that journey. That's awesome. Um, which is a, a special thing for me. Uh, but also, you know, I've mentioned Noah a couple of times. He's he's been around the block. He's an ex-professional um, sports person, and he brings a you know a real level that you've got to step up to when you mm. work with him. Sometimes mm. I, uh, you know, it's challenging, but it, it's as a role model you're sort of someone that's been there and done it um, that constantly gets you to step up every day and we have a value in the company be the best you and he's the epitome of that Um, so he's the closest one I'd say day to day that Mm. you know rides me to a better version of myself cool anything that stands out that you'd do differently there's always things I think you would do uh, you'd do differently and the biggest one for us and I say this not because it's been fatalistic in any way for us, but um, I'd get to the US sooner and I'd move up there. Um, we had a business here and there's been all sorts of reasons why we've sort of um, lived between both and commute to the US every month and all that sort of stuff that we've done um, has worked and, and Noah's actually got a house up there and he's based up there, albeit he's in New Zealand now. So we, we've got a real presence up there um, and James and I used to you know basically high five at the airport every month he'd come back and I'd go up or whatever it was Um, but I think if you're focusing on a market you need to be in the market Mm -hmm. and um, and that's where we'll we'll pursue Uh, it's just we do it well it's just it takes a lot of time and effort to try and do it from here and particularly now that we're, we're here for a few more months yet. Absolutely, and, and being um, a mental health week and health and wellbeing, what do you do outside of work to keep yourself, A, sane, but obviously present and, um, you know, making yourself feel better? Uh, I mean, the, the mental wellbeing thing is, uh, is something that I'm really focusing on at the moment. We were fortunate enough to have Sir John Kerwin come and talk to our team, our wider team, the US and uh, and our Auckland team a few weeks ago, and, and I've never... Fortunately, never been one to sort of think I, I had, you know, depression or anxiety or anything. But a lot of what he said really resonated mm-hmm. with me. And and it's easy to to work from home in this environment. And 
I guess the world can get slowly smaller and smaller around you without you realizing that it is. And so what he was saying was just these simple steps and practices that you can do every day to make yourself um, you know, more resilient to the world around you. And so I've been, you can look out the window and see Vermont Street and Ponsonby. I've yeah. been trying to run that a fair few times a day, got the exercise. So for me, it's about you know, physical health as a real driver for mental health. Um, man of your heart, I just bought a, a charcoal barbecue. Oh, jeez. Uh, Carolina barbecue trail. That's where you've got to be heading well, in some time off. There's a serious bromance in here now. <laughs> so that's about it. You know, when you're, you're running a business, it takes up a lot of your time, particularly in some weird hours. So outside of family, um, you know, I've got a two-year-old daughter and a 12-week-old son. So, um, you know, I get, I'm very fortunate to have a, a partner who does most of that heavy lifting. But outside of work, I, uh, I do a bit of that and, and stay pretty close to home, really, at the yeah. moment. There's... Um, not a hell of a lot of partying to be done. <laughs> you definitely need an outlet outside of work and it's funny what you say around um, the mental health the, the Kiwi adage is you know she'll be right and, and you just keep going but I think if you don't have a outlet or, or something away from work you know the, the weeks turn into months and the months turn into years and it gets really tough totally so, yeah and everyone's sort of got a, a makeshift office at the moment if they're working from home and you know we're sort of tipping in and out of it here in New Zealand but our our team up in the US have been working from home for over six months mm. and you know you've as a business you've got to be really conscious of that and, and make sure that you're doing everything you can remotely um, and even remotely as our leaders up there are doing with the team yes yeah. it is something that I think the world will become more and more conscious of as the months go on before I pass over to Issa to get some more questions going to, to round it off tell us about some of the awards you've won I've seen a few awards on your website yeah we have we've uh Awards are, are funny things. You don't necessarily go chase them, but but when you win them, they have a pretty special impact on your team. Um, the the most significant one that we won last year was the New Zealand High Tech Awards. We won Startup of the Year, and wow, that's uh, and that, awesome. That was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, those awards, you know, have some of the best of the best. You've got the zeros and the push pays, yep. and, wow. and all the big companies um, uh, are there and and you know up for some of the award categories and startup of the year is a pretty special one because mm. as a startup you you know you've rolled your sleeves up you're still in that trenches mindset um and so that was that was a really special moment for the team uh particularly here because our new zealand team puts in a huge amount of work and and a lot of ip goes into our product but it sort of gets delivered up in the u.s and yeah. i think there's a bit of distance so to be recognized in the new zealand tech sector for what our team here was doing um was a, a real high point. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, to keep things nice and light around things off, a couple more f- quick fire questions. Favourite lollies when you were a kid? Ooh. I think I had a few too many lollies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably uh, sour worms. Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, using one word, how would you describe your family? Fantastic. Nice. If you could have a superpower of invisibility, supersonic speed, or you could fly, which one would it be? Fly. I fly in pretty much all my dreams. <laughs> it's frustrating as hell when I wake up. What is the most used app on your phone? Slack. Mm, interesting. Lastly, favorite holiday of the year? Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID? Bali. Nice. Got a few nice. weddings up there, and it's, it's always just a great mix of... You know, you can do anything up there. 
So to finish things off, where is uh, Whip Around going to be in 12 months' time? Where do you see it going? We are really landing in a place that, I mean, we've got so much passion for what we do and, and where we've ended up is is in this passionate place of championing inspections as this cornerstone of vehicle safety and safety leads to performance. And we just want to go beat our drums as loud as we can that we are, um, we are whip around. This is what we do. It's really simple and it's really powerful when you actually put it into your business. And um, I have a saying that what we do is not rocket science for not rocket scientists in the nicest way possible for our customers. It's... It's just a really effective solution. And we had someone tell us the other day, well, when they understood what we did, well, every, every fleet in America is going to have this. Yeah. Mm. And that might not be 12 months, but we certainly want to be well on the way to that in 12 yeah. months' time. And if our listeners out there, if they want to find you guys, where's the best place to find you and your social handles as well? Yep, whiparound.com, uh, W-H-I-P-A-R-O-U-N-D.com. Uh, you'll find all the information about Whiparound, but... You'll see me on LinkedIn, and I'm more than happy. We've been so fortunate over the years to be the benefactor of uh, experience and and other people that have gone before us. So if anyone out there is looking to get into technology or SaaS or, or has a startup that, that they have questions or is looking for um, just a network of people, I'm more than happy to have a chat and, and part any wisdom that I may have acquired over the years. Fantastic. Tim, mate, thank you very much for coming in. I know you're potentially looking at starting your own podcast, so listeners, keep an eye out for that because Tim's a good man and uh, you've got good banter, so it should be quite good. Um, Isa, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Uh, It's great to hear about Whip Around. And like Tim said, jump on social handles, LinkedIn, or their website to uh, find out more. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Jens. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on this episode and hundreds more, you can visit us at Beyond the Field Podcast on all social platforms. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Now it's your turn to take control and build your empire beyond your field.